when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. <laughs> they promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean, spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be. <laughs> is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 As well on 1230 AM WBOK. If you are tuned in to 1230 AM WBOK, welcome to Resistance Radio. Welcome to WHIV. Welcome Kenny Francis. Yay, we are broadcasting live from the Ace Hotel in the Three Keys room for Movement Mondays. Hi, everyone. I'm excited for another episode. Before we jump in, I want to give a couple of reminders and a couple of announcements. Um, one, as a reminder, you can find this episode and all of the episodes of our show by searching Resistance Radio New Orleans on either iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. And the one I'm most excited about, because it's easiest for people to access, is on Spotify. You can also hear our show on Spotify. Speaking of our show, we do owe you two episodes. We owe you the last Movement Mondays that we did with Gloria Serson that we're still working with the Ace Hotel folks on getting the recording for. It was an amazing episode. Um, so when that comes out, make sure you catch it. The second one that we owe you is we owe you last week's episode from last Monday. That was an episode that we did um, talking about... I think was uh, uh, it, we went did a deep dive. Oh on... yes, I forgot first. I like blanked. Last <laughs> week's episode, we did a deep dive on um, on the fair share campaign, and we we talked a bit more about um, sort of like where our money is going in the city, and we dove real deep into that. And so that's that would be something for you guys to check out. Um, sorry that we don't have those two episodes for, with you guys. As something we mentioned previously on our show, is that we have been 
migrating slowly from a situation that was like very analog where basically Mark Allen would give me a flash drive and then I'd put it on my computer and then we'd upload it and then eventually it would magically become a podcast. We've been going through a process of that being just done completely digitally without sort of like the analog part added to it. And as with any sort of like technology change, there are issues. Especially technology changes are being spearheaded by Mark Allen. So there's, you know, we're working through that. But we, like I said, we owe you two episodes and we're going to get those I'll, two. I'll remind you that I did get a radio station off the ground called WHIV with zero radio. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, thank you very the sarcastic much. sarcastic applause for the class. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> that's a good boy. I would bro. like to thank... Um, Thank I would like you. to thank, thank Liana and Knuckles and the other women of WHIV who have made all of this possible, despite the best efforts of Mark Allen. With that being said, uh, it's really a pleasure uh, to have on and to introduce our guest, uh, Robert Hennig uh, Bell, who is the campaign manager for Bike Easy. And you can find more information about Bike Easy at bikeeasy.org. And also all of their social medias are on. Uh, you can be found at Bike Easy. And it's, uh, it's great. Welcome to the show, Robert. It's really a pleasure to have you. I'd like to add one Thank more you. thing to Robert's bio that oh, you may not have okay. known. Robert is actually on the Indivisible New Orleans Steering Committee with That's me. Right. That's how we know That's each other. That's how I know this man. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mul- multiple forms. So not only you know? an uh, uh, avid biker, but a progressive avid biker as well. Yes. And we should also say, too, is, is it okay to say that you, you got a flat tire on your way? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I did have a flat tire. Um, and, you know, still the bike ma- and still made it, nonetheless. Yeah, I appreciate well, that's that. because of the bike share, Blue Bikes. Oh, look at that. Plug did hop you right really, on. You just, like, you took oh, a Blue Bike over? Yeah, this is part of... Uh, the benefits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know, my bike has been busy. It's been a busy week and month for biking. So we've done a lot of media. Bike to work day was last week. Right. And so folks were like, well, bring the bike out and we'll just have it in the shot. So I had to, I was actually like throwing my loose- bike in my car a lot, you know, classic New Orleans style. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a Pretty big biker. I know some really diehards, so I won't claim too much. Sure. So I guess just maybe just give us a quick uh, introduction to yourself and maybe the origins of Bike Easy. Yeah, well, I'll start with Bike Easy. Um, just this past year, the organization celebrated 15 years. So, you know, pre-Katrina, you yes. always kind of have to give that time frame. And it started with, you know, a lot of folks who were born and raised in New Orleans or around New Orleans who just you know, realize that this city could be a premier city for biking. It's, you know, for all the reasons we know, we're compact, we're flat, we're a gorgeous city. Um, We have a lot of folks who never could afford to own a car. We don't have great public transportation. Decent weather, it's not raining. Yeah, decent, yeah. So as long, everyone's a little sweaty for half the year anyway. So if that's the case, you know, it might as well just get around in a nice way that's affordable sure. and all that, all those other things. So the organization started out just trying to get bike lanes, period. Um, so the city, since around Katrina, has gone from, I think, eight miles of bike lanes to today there's 130 miles of bike lanes in and just around New Orleans, Jefferson Parish, St. Bernard included. Um, and there's been a lot of other things all along the way, taking on the cause of making, you know, pedestrian rights, walking safer to where the city actually will think a little bit differently about how it goes about um, maintaining sidewalks, which obviously is a work in progress. 
Um, and then connecting all that to just health, public transportation generally, mobility access, generally speaking. Um, since I came on, the focus has been, and that's been for about two years, a little over two years, the focus has been on trying to get the city and Jefferson Parish to adopt complete streets laws and programs. And what that means is every time a street or any roadway street um, is repaired, renovated, that the Department of Public Works or any relevant agency doesn't just think about how do we get as many cars through here as possible. They actually have to have a process for like, you know, how will people in this neighborhood bike in and around this street? How will public transit uh, operate? How will people walk to and fro? And then also, sorry, I'm going a little long here. No, no, no. no, no. You, you uh, got the, the hour is yours. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and we're actually just going to sit here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just, I'll just finish this up by saying, um, and then folks in a neighborhood in a part of town, can they get to their jobs? Can they get to the grocery store? Can they get to the park? And so on and so forth. And right now, the focus is on taking the city and the region from this model where we were just putting striping paint on the ground and saying that's a bike lane, that's a safe place to bike, to realizing that that is not adequate. In a lot of situations, we need to go to a higher level of safety and accessibility. I want to talk about that more in a second. I just want to go back for a second here. Um, if you guys are, those of you listening, have realized that Rob's a pretty understated guy. I don't want to understate, though, the accomplishments that you all have y'all have had in that 15 years like going from just like eight miles of bike lanes in the city to over a hundred over 130 miles it's a big accomplishment it, i mean i moved to new orleans in 2011 um and to be frank it was categorically unsafe for me to bike anywhere when i moved <laughs> here um and that, that's not that's not even talking about the state of the roads or the state of the sidewalks or anything just like pure like where to bike on a road with people having any sort of awareness whatsoever of someone on a bike was non-existent when I first moved here. Mm -hmm. And you take that, and like you said, we're a city that doesn't have great public transportation. We were one of the last cities of our, of our like size and sort of like traffic to get Uber and Lyft. Whereas, so like when I first moved here, your options were like walking or like if you were lucky, you could get a United cab. But if you were black, you definitely couldn't get one. And so, I mean, my former roommate and friend Lenny sitting here, there was a night where Lenny and I walked from like St. Charles and Napoleon to where we were living on Esplanade because we were two black guys that couldn't get a cab and there was just no other way to get home or drinking and driving, which way too many yeah. people in the city yeah. do, which we're mm -hmm. going to talk about. Um, so I think even just like what you were saying about how, so for one, I wanted to just like re-highlight again just like the actual real change in progress that Bike Easy and others have been able to enact over the last 15 years where, you know, we do have some bike lanes now. Like you said, like we're about to talk about it's not enough, but it was incredibly unsafe to bike before. And accidents like, like the really, really, really sad one we had over Mardi Gras happened all the time. And um, I'm glad to see that progress happening because like you said, I never really thought about it that that way before but this isn't incredibly if we had roads that worked and drivers that were cognizant of bikers and an infrastructure that protected the bikers this is an incredibly bikeable city you just don't think of it that way because all yeah. the things that we don't have yeah it's true uh, there has been a great deal of progress made kenny you know i'm always looking at what could be 
you know, so um, <laughs> your point is well taken. Um, but I think it's, it's the fact that a lot of people came together. Actually, in the beginning, you know, not that many people, but they managed to organize themselves in an effective way. And, you know, if you're coming in from another place or if you've just been around long enough, you realize that, you know, this is not a huge city. And if you just stay at it and get in people's space long enough, you can sort of wear on them and they get tired of hearing you say the same <laughs> things over. And especially if they don't have a good counter argument. Sounds like community organizing to me. Yes, exactly. And that's what it's all Real about. Real grassroots right yeah, there. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so you can make that progress, and a lot of people have. And um, in Baigizi's history, I mean, I could go down the list of folks. Uh, shout out to Jamie Wine, who uh, has been sort of a godfather of the organization for a lot of years. Uh, but there's a lot of people. Um, but I, I would push back, not not push back, but just to say, to make the, the claim that there's always been a lot of people biking on the streets of New Orleans. And it is part of how we see the city and how we see the city changing. You know, I'll, I'll, in my work, I go from place to place, neighborhood meeting to neighborhood meeting or such and such. And people often say, oh, you know, it's just those people who are biking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just transplants. It's just, you know, some white guy going somewhere, you know, looking a certain way. And it's just not really true. There's just always been these other folks who have been biking to the quarter, you know, on maybe a little more raggedy bike. But those people are just invisible to a lot of people, even homegrown New Orleanians who just think. And it's partly, you know, just to be fair, to be honest, you know, a class thing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yes. You know, yes, people. Yes. I was, was going to say they're invisible yes. for lots of reasons. Yeah, 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 and and that's part of the thing that we run up against is that we're trying to now, in partnership with the city and a lot of local leaders, you know, city council members, the mayor, who are committed to making these changes, because um, they realize that you know it's not safe enough. So, you know, you have to be a little bit of adventurous right now to bike on a daily basis in New Orleans still. If you're a mother of small kids, you're going to at least, you know. Um, so those, they're committed, but we hear a lot of folks saying, you know, the people who just drive every day and they think, you know, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to be either I'm not a transplant and it's not some weird status symbol for me, but my car is a sense of security and, you know, comfort. Yeah. And I'm not trying to go back and, you know, those folks are fine, but we have to realize that actually not everyone's fine, and most people getting hit are like working class, sixty-year-old black men, you know, walking to work. That—that's who's hit most often. Yeah. And I think, not to go too much of a tangent, I think that it makes sense to me why in a town like New Orleans that has been, always been historically black, and a town like New Orleans that has had sort of the the wealth gap that we've always had. It makes sense why there are some of those thoughts and attitudes, because if we think about sort of the freedom and mobility that specifically black families in the South had once they started to accrue enough wealth to do things like buy a car. For a lot of people, a home, including myself, a home is not an accessible thing. I can't buy a house now or anytime soon, not unless Mark mm-hmm. Allen starts paying me, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess you're, I, that's right. Be, uh, but you're I, not going to have a home for a while. But I own my... 
But I own my car, though, right? And, right. It's, and it is a thing that, like, I have had a privilege to be able to do. And it's something that previous generations of my family did not have, right? And so yeah. even my own self, I think about that. Is that, like, would I give up my car to bike? Probably not. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's reasonable. And no one, uh, certainly not us, not me, not the work that we do, that we're trying to But we change a mindset about yeah. who does it. If you're 3WHIVLPFM, this is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Gallandari. That's Kenny Francis. And we are also streaming live on WBOK uh, on 1230 AM. All right. So, uh, we, uh, so just to be clear, yeah, Kenny, I'll just, just to be clear, I, I just want to say, Robert, you, you guys will increase the bike lanes by 20 times from 8 to over 130, I, I think, was, is it 150 or what? Do, is there a... Um, 130 100, so it's right a, and around New about Orleans. About 18 times. Look at that doctor the, math. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's almost 18 times. And I, I just want to say, before we start really digging into the, the weeds here, just because I think the idea of complete streets is such an important concept that it took a while for me to even under actually understand that because... It's almost like looking at the health and all policy, which is almost like health and all is is a policy that whenever ordinances are done, that you are looking at the health of an individual kind of built into that policy, mm -hmm. making sure that there's health in all policy and street version of, mm -hmm. of that. And so excessive bike easy over the course of the last 15 years by increasing lanes by uh, almost 18 times was it strictly through complete streets and, and making sure that complete streets got done or was it just straight up grassroots activism then that kind of morphed into the the idea of doing the complete streets no the city has yet to really implement complete streets. That's part of the thing that we're fighting for right now. So um, complete streets right now is not... There, there were motions made, you know, gestures made towards it um, by Mayor Mitch Landrieu um, and leadership of one of your previous guests, Kristen Palmer. I think that was the last time I was in the audience here. She was explaining some other work of hers. Um, so she, on her last stint on the council, she was the leader for complete streets in New Orleans, moving into a more planned out, thoughtful transportation policies. She was the original advocate alongside Bike Easy for Bike Share, <clears throat> now known as Blue Bikes, to come to New Orleans. So she was really the leader at City Hall for moving us in that direction. Um, and then there, for various reasons, um, Mayor Landrieu started in that direction, but then never fully got it off the ground. So all those bike lanes was about advocacy from the outside, Bike Easy and other folks, but then some committed folks within City Hall. Um, I, I think of Jennifer Ruley, who's there right now working on what the city is doing right now to push forward protected bikeway um, citywide plans to connect all neighborhoods right at this time, and there are meetings going on this week. Actually, yes. as we speak, as there's we one speak going right on now in, District in, D. Algier, well, in Algiers tonight. Oh, I thought it was and District actually, D. Got it. Tomorrow night is District D. Got it. In okay. Gentilly. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so just all that to say that committed individuals using a lot of the rebuilding dollars that come in, have been coming in since Katrina, whenever there was a little bit of extra money here or there or space on the road, on a bike lane. 
And then, so let me ask you this then. If um, two things then. One is if there were complete streets done, would some of the high-profile accidents that we had seen recently perhaps been prevented? And then two, once we do get complete streets, will we see a radical transformation in terms of, of bike lanes? Can, can, can I back up? Yes. That's a great yes. question, yes. but yes. I want to back us up before we get there because I think an antecedent to that con- sorry, precedent to that, con- to that conversation is one, can you explain to us sort of like, because I think even my own rudimentary knowledge of this is that like I know that this is an infrastructure issue, right? You go to other cities that have a much better invested in infrastructure. And one that comes to mind is one of my favorite cities in the world, Montreal. Montreal mm-hmm. is an incredibly bike-friendly city. Right. And Montreal, in a lot of ways, is like a bigger, more liberal, like functioning government. New Orleans, yeah. functioning government being the part there that makes it very different. But their thing is... The, I think one of the, the one of the most notable things is how easy it is to get around that city and how cheaply it is, and the change that must make in terms of like income inequality and folks having access to work. Where you think about sort of, it comes into everything here, right? Where you have hospitality workers who work in the quarter who can't afford to live in the quarter because of lack of affordable housing, who can't really get to the quarter because we don't really have public transportation, and so a lot of them have the bike, and then they can't even get on like a safe street to bike here. And so then you t- think about like loss of wages, etc. I mean, the number of folks I know in the hospitality industry that have had the missed days of work because they got hit yeah. by a car and then they didn't have insurance and it becomes this, like, snowball effect of, like, life coming down on you because of our lack of infrastructure. Um, but, however, I say all that to say that I think that, myself included, folks think, like, oh, okay, so the problem is easy. You get some bike lanes, you get some paint, and it's and it's fixed. But you're saying that it needs to go further than that. And I wanted you to talk about that, about why aren't bike lanes enough? Because I know that there's a, a movement now for it to be like a physical barrier between right. cars on the road and bikes. Why, why is that such an important conversation to have? Why isn't it as simple as, you know, put some parallel lines down and make some new lines? Well, um, the reason for that, just to the last part of your question about why protected bike lanes, that's what we call them when there is a physical, what they say, uh, vertical separation, right? Thing in between a planter, you know, these flex posts that you're starting to see around the city, that it's as simple as how fast are cars going. Cars are generally going 40 miles an hour, 30 above. That's too fast to be a foot, two feet away. Especially, you know, prevailing situation where people are looking at their phones, you know, every other second, right? So part of the planning that's happening right now, um, I... Uh, design consultants that they're working with with a system for figuring out which streets um, certain infrastructure changes will go go on and part, you know um, we all know here in New Orleans a lot of our streets are very narrow so we're not going to have these protected bike lanes on our narrow side streets you know where cars generally can't go that fast anyway so but they do anyway <laughs> well they do, yeah, we we all, when, we when they're really smooth and new uh, yeah they might but it's, it's simply a matter of speed and how much volume is going through that area. Um, to get back to Mark Allen's question about complete streets and why, you know, what that means and would these recent uh, fatalities been avoided, possibly, you know. Um, if when they had originally put in the bike lane on Esplanade Avenue, um, you know, that was done with some thought by the folks at City Hall, Department of Public Works, but... Was it done, you know, 
by a checklist with the studies, with information in hand. Best practices. Best practices from other cities. You know, maybe, but maybe not. And if we have a good policy that institutes such a thing, um, then we can potentially, you know, make our streets just designed a little bit better. And hopefully when bike lanes go down, they're working in hand-in-hand hand with bus routes to where everyone can just much more easily and comfortably get in and out of the street, you know, in a way that they don't now, especially on the street like Esplanade. So, so just holding on to that before we start getting into some of the studies and stuff, the, there's a new bike lane that went up on the uh, Broad, Broad Stripe Bridge that yeah. has a green lane on it now. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting concept, too, because it, I, one, I can't tell if it's pedestrian or not. It feels like it's, it's a bike lane. But why, why did they do the green? What was, what was the idea with that? Basically, just to increase visibility, this is one of the things they're looking at doing more and more of. Um, part of making protected bike lanes is making sure that the people driving are actually aware of it. There's lots of bike lanes and lots of people driving around New Orleans right now. You and I might... They, they be, drive into the yeah, bike well, lane. Yeah, well, we might say, oh, it's that's like a, a bike lane. They right, might that's say... A, that's a convenient lane for the yeah, for me to get into. Oh, look at that. That's some, some nice open space right there. Or that's a parking lane for me. Right. Which Chantilly I Boulevard... Is, um, I believe is now a $300 fine. It's just been brought up. Yeah. 300 or even 400 I, 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 I think it's, I think it starts at $300. Yeah, I think that's right. Is what, the, is what it said. Yeah. And what we should be able to do is take a picture, because I'm an avid skateboarder. Mm. So I use the bike lanes for skateboarding. So yeah, I can, well, I'm fine. all over that's the bike lanes. Slow moving, wheeled, whatever. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Non vehicle, <laughs> non motorized. But I look so cool. No, it is motorized. It's oh, a, it's a, oh, it's a one wheel. It's a one wheel skateboard. You're one of those? Yes. I love that you said that. <laughs> but um, the, uh, God bless it, I forgot my. <laughs> well, I I do I actually do have a point because um, I know that we're going to talk a bit about some studies you guys did, um, and I think I find a lot of the numbers of that fascinating. So I really want to dig into that, but just sort of in a more um, so what I'm looking for, like meta era, meta level. Like so, there's like a policy problem, right? And like most issues that you're trying to make better or move forward in the world, there's usually a policy side, which you guys I think have been very effective at mm -hmm. and very targeted and um, well-planned in how you're attacking that and moving that forward. But there's also a human side, right, yeah. where you the can culture. change all the policies and the regulations that you want, but even in a world where I think that was a very careful, carefully crafted answer you gave about, like, would the accidents and the horrible accidents have happened, specifically the recent ones, been avoided if there had been a physical barrier? It's like, well, that's kind of not the point, right? That's not the point that they would have been avoided. It's like, mm. it would have been less likely, but... There yes. is no bike lane yes. or physical yes. barrier. Being yeah. drunk, almost twice the legal limit, driving 80. Something that you care deeply about for all the reasons. For specifically for lower income residents of the city. When you think about things like the rampant drinking and driving problem that is just like almost like culturally a part of all of the American South. When you think about things like the state of our roads and the way that we like don't pay for things in the city and things aren't getting fixed. Um, when you think about people's attachment to their cars in the South for partly the reasons I explained earlier for racial parts, but also just like in the 
we look at a lot of southern cities, there isn't a lot for lots of reasons that are similar to systemic, systemic oppression. Um, we don't really invest in our infrastructure in the south. So you think about those like cultural pieces. Yeah, I would love your thoughts of like how how do you change that? Because like the reality of it is that we have a city that's like very very car dependent. There's a lot of drinking and driving going around. It's not easy to get around without a car. And so, you know, we're living in this world where beyond safety, environmentally, we do got to give up the cars eventually. But I do very much believe that Louisiana are probably the last people to do it, <laughs> unfortunately. Like, I wish we could be first in something that wasn't terrible. But, like, there's no one in this room that thinks that we're going to be first in this. You're probably right. <laughs> uh, well, but oh, wait, aren't you from the South? No, he's I'm from, from New Brooklyn. York. Oh, you're from can, Brooklyn. Okay. Can I? Can I, I? I mean, I knew that in my soul, but I, I thought I heard <laughs> you say, "Wait, Virginia? You had a Virginia connection?" I you? went to school in Virginia. Okay, right, yeah. right. Okay. Well, I take offense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's no. Fair. Uh, no, you're right in lots of ways, but I guess um, beyond the policy or the specifics of what we're advocating for on a policy level, I mean, part of my answer would be, look, I mean, we have a black woman mayor right now and what is she doing she's fighting with the state government for money fair yeah. share yeah you know that's the culture you're talking about i'm from baton rouge so and my, my parents are lawyers and my dad knew a lot of these you know state legislator types uh when i was growing up i remember you know seeing these guys just eating steak every night you know rural louisiana they didn't well, I don't want, I'll, I'll keep my language clean, but they didn't care too much about the people in Baton Rouge, the people in New Orleans, even a little bit, right? Yeah. And so the culture changing is having, to a certain degree, having a black woman mayor standing up. And she's, I think, you know, I think she's trying. Um, and I think a lot of our local leaders are trying to claw that money back for the people of New Orleans to institute some of these changes. Now, Fighting with the state government and North Louisiana and all the rest of it is an epic battle, but that's a structural yeah. thing. So there's that culture change and that fight. Then there's the more local culture change. And that, you know, part of what we're doing right now and what the city's doing um, with instituting this two year plan, I just want to yeah, get back to sort of yeah. the baseline of what is going on right now here in New Orleans. You know, this is the second week of the city having public meetings to invite folks in to say where should we be over the next year installing protected bike lanes in your area where do you want to go where would your kids like to go to where they you don't have to really worry and stay up at night if they're trying to uh, cross claiborne or you know general meyer which or, I was certainly wouldn't do in a bike right now <laughs> right 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 so I barely want to do it in a car there they are you know, they, and they have $10 million committed to this for infrastructure to go on the ground within the next two years. So it's not just a plan, it, like that post-Katrina thing where we're just all having meetings, coming up with plans, drawing on maps, and then nothing happens. Like October, November of this year, these things are hitting the ground, and streets are going to be renovated and turned into these protected bikeways. So now it is upon myself and people who care about this to educate our neighbors and then there are going to be some dollars spent from some funds that bike easy and other groups have been 
pulling forth, realizing that the culture does have to change. There does have to be a shift in attitudes. People have to stop thinking about themselves like, like an identity issue. Like, I'm a biker. I'm a driver. Yeah. No, no. We are just people trying to get to, to work and from. Get a point P. Yeah, that's all. You know, I drive. I bike. I walk. I don't skateboard. I skate. Like Mark <laughs> Allen. But, you know, we, we're just trying to survive that, that trip and actually maybe get a little healthier and save some money in the process. If you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV LPFM. It's a pleasure and honor to be broadcasting live from the Ace Hotel, which is a Movement Monday. So thank you very much to Ace Hotel. My name is Mark Alderi. That's Kenny Francis. We are proudly streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. It's an honor to have Robert Hennig Bell, who is the campaign manager for Bike Easy. More information about Bike Easy can be found at bikeeasy.org and they uh, social media at Bike Easy. So, go ahead, Kenny. So, I have sort of like a different way to ask that question because I think that social justice, which that's what mm-hmm. this is, right? That's this right. is, um, is another. Right lens to look at this far as you're trying to write it's another spoke in the wheel of yeah. social justice how do you <laughs> thank you very oh much. my god <laughs> don't no don't <laughs> encourage this don't oh. encourage this thank oh, you so no. much i appreciate that. i think that might have been the first authentic laugh you've gotten on this show <laughs> in a long time um what i think something that we often like struggle to do as a society is when there's cultural changes that need to happen like this along with the policy is to struggle of like what it would even look like because i think part of what people and including i'm including myself in this right because i'm listening to you talking i'm like that'd be great it would be amazing i probably would park up my car and bike to work most days that it wasn't crazy hot outside or crazy cold if there was a safe and reliable way for me to get to work and back in anywhere else i need to go today but i i know that's not true right now and and i see in my own conception of it not doing this work every day like you do i see it as being like a very far off reality because then i start thinking about what this needs to happen and this needs to happen and this needs to happen yeah what does it look like to have a system in which um complete roadways exist what is what would that look like like do me do some imagining for me here like what would that look like because i know like what it looks like in europe which seems to do like everything more efficiently than we do um but what, what would that look like if, if we actually accomplish that. Well, you mentioned Montreal earlier. I was actually there this past summer. Um, they are like our northern cousins in a way, in a way. Um, and so, yes, I was there for a bachelor party because they are our northern cousins. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they have a lot of protected bikeways, but it's not a complete system either. There's a lot of gaps mm. in that. Um, what it looks like is just a much more balanced situation to where our public transportation is several notches more reliable and useful than it is right now, Um, to where there are many more, or at least a a significant um, increase and improvement in the quality of just the pedestrian walking facilities, you know, to where at least in certain areas where there's a bunch of shops and a bunch of restaurants you know, you can actually walk on the sidewalk and walk, you know, back and around places. And it's not, you know, we, you see a lot of people tripping and falling in New Orleans. I mean, constantly, like re- really injuring themselves, you know. Um, so that needs to be made better. And um, 
uh, more widespread. So it's not just in the tourist areas. Yeah. Right? Happened in Algiers, New Orleans East. Yes. And, you know, and God bless them in Lakeview as well. Whatever. That's fine. Uh, but around the city where people actually live. Sure. Right? These things need to be better in all these places. So at least for Bike Easy, for us, we're not trying, or at least most of us, some of my colleagues are different. Most of us are not trying to get rid of cars, you know? Um, it's just to where the planning, the dollars are a Can't little more my car, my ride. Evenly, <laughs> more evenly divided. People have the chance yeah. to do these things. And, you know, we have a lot of folks who are, you know, impaired. Man, okay, I'm thinking actually of our friends who... Sophie, who works at Friends of the Lafitte Greenway, who is back at work now, thankfully. Uh, she, she was in collarbone, punctured, punctured her kidney. Um, and so she was in a wheelchair for the first, I think, four weeks after and she was telling me you know it's impossible to get around new orleans just actually you could barely do anything and even if you're getting rides or whatever to places and we have a lot of folks we have a lot of you know whether it's a, an injury or just they have chronic health problems because we have a lot of health problems yeah. in new orleans so there's so much we could do just to get to a a, a higher plateau that is some more money, um, but once those things exist, the culture will come around yeah. if people just help each other figure out how to do these things and make it all connect. I do want to give a shout out and appreciation to this mayor and her team. You know, she created an office of transportation, and they're coming out with this large scale plan called Moving New Orleans, and they're starting off with Moving New Orleans bikes. This is the phrase they're using. Um, but it includes public transportation, includes walking, includes health. Actually, I don't know all the elements, yeah. but it's meant to be a sort of holistic 360 view about how do we tweak all of these things to where they're working together and shifting the culture. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a long and, answer. And they're doing this as, the, as part of that listening tour right now, right? Yeah. So they're actually going out. This is the kickoff. Right, and they're actually meeting people where, where they are right now to figure out where uh, bike lanes would best be suited as chosen by the community rather than the local government choosing for the community. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, the local government, the city, and the consultants, the, the experts that are being brought in who do these things, they build um, right. these facilities, they know a lot and they have a lot of data, but they don't know precisely where everyone wants to go. Sure. Where do your kids want to go? Where would you like to go? What is a really dangerous spot near you that you interact with? Um, where, you know, where do you go to the pharmacy? All that, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's dependent on people actually participating. And I just want to say that even if you don't bike, um, these meetings have uh, meaning for you. Um, say someone in your family does, or maybe just you walk, and you want to walk in the neighborhood. Wherever they install better bike infrastructure, it is proven pretty much universally to improve the safety of walking. 
In right, and then well. one thing that we're seeing a lot of too are these folks that are getting around on these personal scooters as well. <laughs> yeah, those people. Yeah, no, shout out to those people. That's great. And and so I would imagine that uh, individuals that are using these personalized scooters would uh, are also uh, finding this to be beneficial as well. Uh, yeah, if the okay, when you put in more or better improved infrastructure to make biking and walking safer, it sort of naturally calms the traffic yes so kenny you were alluding to the demonstration that we did last year um last fall it was called connect the crescent and it was a partnership with the city we brought out 200 plus volunteers to in early september in the heat like it was really hot i'm sure and they came and installed two and a half miles of protected bikeways in and around downtown and one thing we learned we did a bunch of traffic studies during that uh demonstration it was three months long we found that on pretty, I think on every single corridor that we did an installation, we had one on Barone, we had one at the foot of Canal, coming off the Greenway at Basin Street, um, and in uh, Central City on Simon Bolivar, and and everywhere we had the traffic studies going on, the average or median speed didn't decrease for people driving. So they were going pretty much almost exactly the same speeds that they normally do, the median, the average. But the speeding dropped a lot. So if it's a 30 mile an hour, the people going 40, 45, we saw like that drop 30% or so. So it wasn't slowing you down if you're going the legal, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, right? And I think that's a big thing for us to learn as a city that this doesn't mean that your drive home, your drive to work is going to be worse. In fact, it might be better if more people felt comfortable biking to work. Yeah, less traffic. Less traffic on the road, and just more clarity about where everyone's supposed to be on the road. And that's part of the thing with the scooters is that we're in a new day and age where there's a lot of crazy vehicles on the yeah, road. Where, the, where do the scooters yeah. go? Yeah, where do the scooters Well, they're going to go on these protected bike lanes. And hopefully people in wheelchairs where the sidewalk is broken will also have room. Or we to, can fix the sidewalk. Yeah, or we can fix the sidewalk. <laughs> that goes back to fair share. So yeah. Hashtag yeah. fair share. But I yeah, think absolutely. instituting some clarity, some new rules that hopefully don't take away anyone's freedom yeah. to move around, yeah. but just makes it to where it's a lot simpler. And to I'm, know I'm curious, what to are be. some of the other things that y'all found out through Connect and sort of I think one of the things, did you notice that more people were riding bikes? Were the, was there less traffic? Um, questions like that. Like, did you notice things like that in the, in the time that you did it? Yeah, ridership increased um, depending. We did counts on every place we did the installation, and it increased between, I believe, um, 20% to, like, 84 was the highest rate um, of increase yeah, a lot. for riders. Yeah, so I think Barone Street was, we did see the highest level of uh, uh, new more people biking. Um, so that was a big thing. That was one of the goals of the project. How people said they felt. Um, did they feel safer? Did they feel more comfortable? Universally, they did. People who bike every day felt great. But especially people who only bike every so often felt the biggest improvement in you know, feeling just comfortable on the road. And then we did a lot of surveys online and in person. And so we broke that down demographically as well as we could. You know, this was a small operation, so we were juggling a lot. But we got almost 1,000 people to respond. And we found that women were the most responsive. And that's something we wanted to see as well. You know, take it just from young guys who feel really 
healthy and whatever and, you know, can take these risks to um, a broader range of people who feel comfortable biking. So women were more supportive of seeing protected bikeways made permanent. And then, you know, the black community, there was a bigger divide than most other groups. So it was split between people who do bike and people who don't bike. Yeah. A lot of, you know, black folks who just drive were like a little more resistant, but still majority supportive of what we were doing and want to see these changes. Um, but a lot of times it's like, you know, the people, um, black folks who bike, you know, no one pays attention to them. Mm-hmm. So we found that like 80, I think 82% wanted to see these changes made permanently. So that, that was something we were able to share with the city council and, and the administration. And uh, that's useful information to have. Yeah, that's really good data to be like a point with. One of the things about about the state, which I think is great, and by the way, if you're tuned in, you are listening to Resistance Radio, this is 102.3, was that when you go down Barone Street, uh, while you guys were doing the study, Barone Street changed multiple times. The the bike lane turned into a two-lane bike lane, and then uh, at one point you had the cars parked, uh, which is the, the, the what I like the most uh, because that's what I see in like Long Beach or other st- other cities that have these complete street ordinances where you Long put Long Beach the skater I see. yeah there is, that's the skater <laughs> I'm from Los Angeles so but when you know if you think about it you why are we putting the hard metal things on one end on one on one side we put the squishy things in the middle between the fast moving right. things and so. Barone changed a couple of times, and so I'm just wondering, did you see your data change and, and the responses you were getting? Like, was there one part, was it when it was a two-lane, Was it, did people like that better? Did people, if I had taken the survey or if I had known about it, I would have been, take every single street and put cars in the middle of the street like that, because <laughs> I would want to have that big, nice, protected lane uh, available, and and I and I would push back a, a bit against Kenny's point is that I How do I do believe that barriers, especially when you're talking about cars, are incredibly protective, even in the setting of a of a intoxicated driver. And had Esplanade look like that, potentially there may have been a a change in the outcomes with some of the horrific uh, tragic accidents we saw recently. Um, a parking protected bike lane, which is what you're talking about. That's, where so the, that's the, the official name. Yeah, the parking yeah. Protected that's bike when lane? the cars are yeah pushed out towards the center of the road, and then next to the curb where right. the cars were parked is now a protected bike lane. Oh, right. Yeah. No, that works. Yeah. I we. <laughs> We <laughs> had one of those. Down, was that part of the connection? That was, that was part, part of the study. I remember seeing that in yeah. um, in the CBD. Some, yeah, it was yeah, on Barone. Barone. It was on Barone. Barone. Yeah. And I was and like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense. We're definitely yeah, not keeping yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, did yeah. you hear the boohooing of the business owners? No. I'm, oh, yeah. dude. I'm sure they, dude, I'm sure they did it. it was the boohooing of the business. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, take out the violin, you know, please. Yeah, no, it's true. Some folks did uh, object. But, you know, partly it's what you're saying, the fact that it's changed multiple times. So most of the folks that we heard from, and we did talk to each of these people individually, they, some of them might claim to differ, but we did reach out to sure. a lot of folks. <laughs> I, I would um, it's called a sampling. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, we did a lot of outreach, and right, right. It's, it's a process. A lot of New Orleans um, business and property owners, they just don't want to see their parking messed with, period. No, I understand. They're very concerned about that. And, of course. You know, that's, at, that's their right to that's be That's the American way, though, is don't yeah. mess with me, yeah. even if it's for the better of, 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 the, of, of public health. 
And, I mean, I think it's a fair point to a certain degree. I mean, we can go down the history of why New Orleans sees, you know, we, we, we park on the street in New Orleans almost everywhere. We have not a lot of parking lots. So it is a reasonable concern for businesses, you know, that face the street to want to make sure that that's okay. However, a lot of the negative uh, talk that came about during that was from what this previous pilot project that happened back in 2014 when the lane, the second lane of car traffic was taken away. Because we, we uh, reverted the street back to what it was prior to Connect the Crescent, and that's what it is right now, which is just a buffered bike lane, which means that if you're a delivery truck driver, you can just hop up in that lane and blast on through and honk and tell the bikers to get out of your way. And it's, or just a normal driver because they yeah, just normal, all do Yeah, they yeah. Just all do, so they it's, just all do that. It's this very contested space that is not safe, right? And so that's why you like the parking protected of, a lot of better. Of course, as a right. skateboarder. But where... there was some lingering not great sentiment from this previous process that pe- people didn't feel heard about. So anyway, the point being is that, yes, people felt immensely safer on the parking protected bikeway. Every sort of person, people just walking up and down the street said they felt better as well. Although there's some tweaks that could be made and the city's going to learn from that about just what will fit in each street. Because in New Orleans, all of our streets are shaped in a little bit wider, a little bit narrower. There's a lot of differences to navigate. Um, so there's a lot to learn and the city's doing that. But uh, basically we learned a lot and it was a really great process. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we're starting to run out of time here, so I do want to talk to talk about these meetings in a second. Um, and I do have a question I, from I, I do I do want to mention something here. So, like, I think that probably and I'm sure I don't have to tell you this. One of the things that you guys are battling is that this isn't like a sexy issue. That like right, <laughs> like it's not like it's not like to be frank, right? It's not something yeah. like. We're going to take down the Confederate monuments that can get a thousand people well, to dude, show when up. When they bike naked through the French Quarter, that's kind of sexy. Let me finish my point. Uh, um, I don't sexualize other people's bodies the way that you do, doctor. <laughs> doctor. Um, so, that's interesting, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like this is like this is not something like you know that's going to have lots of angry people march. I mean, it would be nice if we had that kind of civic engagement, but part of the whole reason why we do this show is that we don't have that kind of civic engagement. It's to talk about issues like this. So my point being here is that like with an issue that it's hard to get folks to care about when it's connected to all of these deeper underlying issues around race and class and infrastructure investment that like really beleaguers our city from being the, the type of city of yes, that we want to be, what would be like your elevator pitch to some that I care about this? Like, why should I show up to one of these public meetings and make sure that my voice is heard? Why should I care about any of the ordinances that are being trying to pass? Like, wh- why should it matter to me at all? Particularly, like you said, when most people drive and are like, I don't know, I drive my car, it's fine. You know, there, there are a lot of reasons. You could talk about health, individual health. You could talk about community health. You could talk about the affordability of being able to, you know, Owning a car costs roughly $700 a month, according to, you know, most data. Um, But at the sort of base level, I think when you think about a city and a community, I tend to go to the kids. You know, the kids should be able to go visit a friend, bike to school, something like that. Just, Just those basic sort of things that a lot of, for generations... 
a lot of children in New Orleans had very um, limited scope. They could only go right around the block, you yeah. know, stay within this block. Um, and that shouldn't be the case. We, we should be freer than that. And we should be able to travel safely without these, just the likelihood of bad scenarios happening. So that might not be the most eloquent thing. I might not have my elevator pitch <laughs> right and tight at that's this good, moment, but... That was a good escalator pitch. For the, for the kids. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> the, that, the Mark. Kid, for the kids, it was a good one. Because you're right. I mean, I was, I'm a former teacher, and the number of kids have rarely been out of their neighborhoods for, for a lot of the reasons we're talking about. Is, it, it floors you, that, yeah. that reality. I think I'll add one more thing to yeah. folks is like, to sort of give like the opposite argument. is, I mean, if, for, if you don't care about this at all, like most things, something is going to happen. So if you don't participate, then... Yeah. Something's going to happen, and you're probably going to answer. If, even if you're a person that's like, I'm a car driver. Car, the road is for cars. Well, if you don't participate in this process, bike lanes are probably going to appear on, words, on roads that you're not happy that they appear on. So yeah. give your input. That's, that's a great point, and people really should, no matter what perspective they're coming from, yeah, yeah the, a lot of roads are going to be renovated and changed over the next couple of years, few years. Um, certainly within the next five to ten, things are going to look a lot different. You know, um, Uber, Lyft, the way the city has to plan and adjust for them, you know, to make the French Quarter more navigable, all these sort of things. I have another thought about why people should participate in these meetings right now, especially the ones that are happening this week, the one tonight in Algiers, and then tomorrow is Gentilly, and then it moves to the Lower Nine on Wednesday. And, and New Orleans East. And that's a direction, just, just so that folks have the details, I, I have the, I'm going to say the actual details of them. Um, so the three meetings that Rob is talking about is there's a meeting tomorrow that's um, April 16th at the AmeriHealth Caritas Louisiana building. It's 3155 Gentilly Boulevard. That's in Gentilly. There's one happening on Wednesday that's April 17th at the MLK Library on 1611 Cavan Boulevard. That's in the Lower Cavan Ninth. Avenue. Cavan Avenue. Sorry, Cavan Avenue. That's in the Lower Ninth Ward. And then there's one last one on Thursday in the East. That's Thursday, April 18th at the East New Orleans Library Regional Library, and that's 5641 Reed Boulevard. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you live in the East or you you care about you know making the East um, grow and thrive and move forward which a lot of people do care about. Um, you know, it's going to be really hard to connect the neighborhoods in New Orleans East to, you know, the core of the East Bank, New Orleans. It's just very difficult to do. So where, what should we be doing out there with this? You know, where do people want to go? Should we be connecting folks to different shopping centers, to the lake, to, you know, where? We need a bike, a bike lane to Dong Fong for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Coming in from the back, you don't, you know, you don't want to be on chef. Uh, it's anyway. Well, maybe, um, and that's for y'all to tell us. But you certainly don't want just national consultants and some engineers at City Hall figuring that out. You know, you want you and your neighbors to figure that out for driving, for walking, whatever the case may be. You know, but people should do this thinking about the kids. Um, 
and that is my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. So um, two things. One is one of the board of uh, directors of uh, WHIV actually reached out to me and said that the opinions expressed here do not reflect the <laughs> opinions oh, wow. of the board <laughs> as well as WHIV. So I just wanted to be clear that the opinions expressed here belong to all three of us and only us. Uh, a listener actually sure. wrote in, and, uh, and maybe you could talk to us a bit about the lack of bike awareness that we see in this city coming from Los Angeles. I, I know that if I were to take a step out onto the street, the whole, like there was like a pile up of cars will stop immediately. Somebody hits the street. And I know that when I skateboard in Los Angeles, people give me a huge uh, amount of space, but we don't see that quite here in the South. And we see a significant lack of awareness of bikers and there's a lack of signs as well. So maybe we could kind of, wrap up with that that thought as yeah. well yeah I'll, I'll try to be quick so we can get through i mean it's a couple things it just is um deep culture uh that that freedom that comes with the car too many drinks it's it's a lot of things you know um but one part of it is the lack of signs we don't have a lot of pedestrian signals yeah. at our intersections yeah. it's very few it's far too few, honestly. Um, and with these protected bike uh, lanes coming in and other bike infrastructure, we should have some bike, you know, bike crossing signals installed with that, or some system that actually makes sense. Even that, the one that's at the Greenway on Broad. And, yeah, that's and, a and, and, that's and, a problem. Yeah, I mean, I the radio station is right there. I pass that intersection all the time, and I forget that it's there, and I'm conscious of it. Yeah, yeah no, that that's a big issue, and I think. During this process, they're gonna we're gonna push hard for a, a higher level of visibility, visibility, right? And maybe even saying the cars should actually have to stop, not just potentially. Yes, right. Um, I did want to mention this one other thing that we are doing this Thursday, leading up to this last meeting. Um, Mayor Cantrell is scheduled to be at the New Orleans East uh, public meeting. Uh, this community input session, and they all they all are open house style meetings, meaning you don't have to get there right at 6 p.m. You can stroll in, do 20, 30 minutes at whatever pace you like. So American Trail is going to be there. Um, so we're trying to build it up a little bit, and yeah. we're going to be doing a ride, uh, an organized ride from the Sojourner Truth Center. Um, we're meeting at 4 p.m. Thursday, the 18th. We're going to hear from our friends um, Sophie um, harris Borhoff at Friends of the Feet Greenway. Um, and then we're going to take a ride. We're going to take a tour through the 7th Ward, Treme, Gentilly, somehow get over into New Orleans East and make our way <laughs> somehow uh, to the <laughs> New Orleans East there. Regional yeah. Library. We know it can be done. We have some folks who are very intrepid. Um, but we're going to be looking out for folks' safety on this ride. But we're going to show why a traditional bike lane, a buffered bike lane, isn't enough to connect neighborhoods. Is the mayor going to bike with you? The mayor is probably not going to bike with us. <laughs> Um, but we are going to show up, hopefully a good group of us, and everyone listening is welcome. Uh, we have this information at our website and on our Facebook page. And hopefully we get a big crew and we are able to take that direct experience into the planning process. Thank you so much, Rob. And we're right out of time, so we're going to wrap up here. Um, but I do want to say just like one more time for folks that Everyone in this city cares about infrastructure or lack thereof, right? You talk to any New Orleanian, and the first thing that they talk about is, man, I really wish they'd fix my streets. Man, I really wish they'd fix the roads. Man, I really wish I could drink a glass of water without having to boil it first, right? It's right. 
And this is just like another one of those things. And so I want to put one more final plug here for we've done a lot of episodes about our taxation process. We've done a lot of uh, a lot of episodes about fair share, and I really hope that folks continue get like to educate themselves and get involved in these processes because this is what we're talking about. This is how we get New Orleans to a place where it's accessible for all of its citizens, and it's a place where people can thrive and live safely. And a lot of it is infrastructure investment that we haven't done, and that takes money, and money we have to get back from the state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I really hope that folks heed the words of Rob and the work that, that people like Bike Easy are doing and, and continue to get involved in this process and to pay attention to this, because 